Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept that saying in mind. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm Pastor Brooks. Thank you for choosing to worship with us here this morning on this Palm Story. We are entering uh, a new phase or a new section in our series called Living Stones. We've been going through Genesis and we'll go a little bit beyond Genesis. We're in a new phase of Genesis where, where the narrative shifts. Uh, the narrative shifts to a young man by the name of Joseph. And we start out that narrative looking at his two dreams. By way of introduction, I want to ask you, how many of you have, you use this phrase every once in a while. Someone will say, hey, how are you doing? And you say, I'm just living the dream. Anybody say that? Okay, I say it occasionally. I say it occasionally. Uh, it's generally sarcasm. Uh, but is it, though? Is it though? There's lots of different ways you can, you can use that, that phrase, living the dream. Right now, Caitlin Clark and the Iowa women's basketball team, they are living the dream. I mean, they're on, so you can use that phrase to describe a, a period in your life where you are on top of the world and, and, and things are awesome. You're riding the wave, you're living the dream. Oftentimes you may use that or hear that. Someone kind of says it tongue in cheek. I'm just living the dream. Meaning, things are not good. Things are not good. I was at the uh, uh, coffee shop working on this, this very sermon this week, and I, had, I saw someone that I hadn't seen probably for a couple years, and they come over and tap me on the shoulder, ask me how I was doing. No, I didn't say I'm living the dream. But I said, hey, how are, how's the family? And all of a sudden, there was no reply. You could just see this, this person was trying to gather their thoughts, and then the quiver chin. You know what a quiver chin is, don't you? It's when the person's about ready to bust out crying. Now, they certainly didn't say live in the dream. Obviously, their dream at that moment is, is troubled. It's more of a nightmare. There's, there's difficulty. There's trials. There's tribulations. 
And, and we've been given this promise in Christ. We've been given this dream, if you will, this vision of a better future in Christ. And then you live your day-to-day life and you get punched in the mouth. You get doubled over. Your family falls apart. Things happen. Things happen. And you wonder, what happened to this dream? What happened to this promise? What happened to God's presence in my life? And you be, you're not sure how to handle suffering. The, this morning, we are entering into a section of Genesis where a, a particular young man has a couple dreams, and then the nightmare starts. And so what we're going to look at is the question of how do you maintain faith when living the dream really means just enduring pain and suffering? Four things we're going to see in the text. First of all, dysfunction, the condition that we all are born into, the things that shape our lives early on. And, and, and a lot of that is just pain and dysfunction. Secondly, we're going to take a look at the dream, what Joseph received uh, in the form of a, a literal dream, and then the drama that ensues. So you receive the promise, you receive the dream, and then... The fur starts to fly. And then we're going to take a look at the decision, the question that we all, have to, we all have to wrestle with in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tribulations. And we have these promises from God, but reality doesn't seem to match up with what God is saying to us in his word. So that's where we're headed this morning. So please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Let's pray and get right to it. Father, we thank you for the promises. We thank you f- for the dream, the dream that... Uh, is fulfilled in the person of Christ. And yet, every person here, given that promise, experiences pain, experiences suffering. And even some of them, they're in pain right now. They're in pain right now. There's people that have, uh, dealing with relational strife, dealing with physical pain and chronic illness, and dealing with the loss of loved ones, and, and just the sin in this world. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that your Holy Spirit would be a comfort and would show us, Lord, um, where our hope truly is. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's take a look. First of all, we have dysfunction. Dysfunction. Some of you believe you and your family to be the poster family for a dysfunctional family. And that might, in fact, be true. But here's the truth. Regardless of your dysfunctional upbringing or regardless of what seems to be a pristine, ideal family life, everybody deals with and is born into dysfunction at some point. Level. Now, what we have here with Joseph, it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father, sojourning in the land of Canaan. So we've, we've seen the life of Joseph. We've seen, last week we saw how his identity was changed from Jacob to Israel. He used to be known as usurper. Now he's known as the man who strives with God, strives with man. And, and we've seen his life. We've seen the chaos. We've seen the deceit. Okay, well, here's, here's the truth, and you know this. You know this is that um, decisions have consequences, and not just for you. So the lives that we craft for ourselves when we're our, our teens, our, our 20s, or 30s, and 40s, those decisions that we make 
good and bad, influence the next generation for good and for bad. And what we have with the person of Jacob, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring a flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Now, who are they? They are the servants of Leah and his, his wife, Rachel. Okay, they are the servants. You, you remember that whole debacle that we've seen? Four wives, 11 boys. Okay, that's, that's what we have right here. That's what we have right here. And he is shepherding, and Joseph brought a bad report to, of them to their father. You can translate that. He's tattling. He's telling on them. He's bringing a false report. Now, the, these are his half-brothers. These are his half-brothers, his older half-brothers. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers, brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Okay, that's the family situation that Joseph has grown up in. Now, why do you suppose Jacob is like that? I'm not saying that he's a victim. I'm not saying that he's a victim. But think back to how he grew up. His father, Isaac, who was Isaac's favorite? Esau. He made that very clear. The author of Genesis has made that very clear. That Jacob was always vying for the scraps for his father's attention. And he he attempted and succeeded in manipulating both his brother and his father to get a material blessing. But he, didn't ever, he never had his father's affection, if you will. He's always second best. So, so the one person he, he finds that he truly sets his affection on, he, he, he over, overcompensates with his, with, his, with his wife, Rachel, the one that he loves. The other three he doesn't love. They just produce children for him. But the one, now that's the object of his affection. And she can't have kids until finally Joseph comes along. So this little young one, this youngest of 11 at this point, he's the one, he's the one that, that Jacob pours his affection out on. So you have these other kids, these other kids who know that their father doesn't really care for their mothers or cares for them all that much except that they're a part of the family. But they're, they're clearly not the favorite. You, you can see this is a dysfunctional family. This is a dysfunctional family that is a second-generation functional family that is a third-generation dysfunctional family. And we can go all the way back to the garden. And here you are, and you, some of you, you have very painful upbringings. Some of you not so painful. Some of you are thinking, my, my background is actually pretty good. But here's the truth of the matter. Here's the truth of the matter. Sin ensures that everyone experiences brokenness and dysfunction. Some of you grew up in a home where you swore you would never become like your father. You swore you would never become like your mother. And now you are asking yourself, why am I like my mother? Why am I so like my father? Why is Jacob so like Isaac when he swore he was never going to not be like that? You get the idea? You cannot choose your family upbringing. You can't choose the environment that you were born into. I know that as Americans and, and, and very independent people, we like to think we're self-made, that we are the products of our own decisions. 
yes and no. You didn't choose what home you were born into. You didn't choose what time in history you were born into. You didn't choose where you were born. None of those things you chose, for good or for bad. And, and so the influences that, that come into our lives, both good and bad, you can't escape the imprint of sin and dysfunction. And your parents couldn't either. It's just a product of the fall, and it's a product of the world we live in. So let's move on. Now we go to the dreams. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said, hear this dream that I dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and behold, my sheaf rose up and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So that's the first dream. That's the first dream. The second dream. The second dream. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to you and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Okay, what does this tell us about Joseph? Well, first of all, he's not making these dreams up. God is communicating to him through a dream. So, so far, so far in Genesis, we have seen God communicate audibly to Abraham. And sometimes he communicates through a vision. And we saw uh, with Jacob, he communicated to Jacob through a dream about the ladder. You remember the angels ascending and descending. So God communicates, he communicates to Joseph through two specific dreams. Now, unlike the visions, unlike the visions that, that, that Abraham had where, or, or Jacob had where God spoke and said, here's what I'm going to do. God does not give him an interpretation of the dream. He says, just gives him a dream. It's clearly implicated that, that you can tell by these dreams that Joseph sees himself in these dreams as somehow being exalted and somehow seeing his, all of his family bowing to him. He doesn't know how that's going to play out, but, but that's the essence of the dreams, right? Okay, now what does this tell us about Joseph? The dreams don't really tell us anything about Joseph, but his handling of the dreams does tell us something about him. At best... At best, it tells us that Joseph is totally insensitive and naive. At best. At worst, it shows that he has zero emotional IQ. Or, or worse, or worse, he knows what these, the interpretation of these dreams, are, the effect it's going to have on his brothers, and he's lording it over them. So he's just being a, brat, a snot-nosed brat. At, at worst... Or he has no emotional IQ and he's totally clueless. Okay, his brothers already loathe him. They already despise him. And now he's, he's using these dreams, just rubbing his, their nose in it. Not only does, does our father prefer me, but God prefers me. And all of you are going to bow down to me. 
this doesn't go well. This doesn't go well. So his family, his brothers already hated him. And now we see in verse 5 and verse 8 that they hate him even more. Even more. Even his father, even his father is taken back by his son's boldness and his son's dreams here. And the rebuke that he gives him is strong. So, principle. The gospel offers everyone a dream, if you will. A dream, if you will. Which is a a promise or a vision of a better future. And when you think about the promises that God has given each person in Christ, they seem ridiculous. They, They seem too good to be true. They seem too good to be true. And those who, who, who haven't heard the gospel, when they think of what Christians believe, how many of you have heard this, that, that, that non-Christians think that, that Christians think they're better than everyone else? Have you, have you heard this? Well, they, they think that God's favor is on them because they think that you think, if you were a Christian, that you are deserving of all the blessings of God because of your good conduct, your good character, and your awesomeness. And so they hate you even more more. They hate you even more. And see, the gospel does offer a dream or a vision of a better future. And it does bring strife and conflict to those who are listening to the promises. And then you live your life. So let's play out the drama. Let's take a look at what ensues. So we have the dysfunction. You got these brothers in a dysfunctional home. You have the promise in the form of two separate dreams, you have the promise. And let's see how the promise is played out. Let's see how the, let's see what it looks like to live the dream. We've been all given the dream. Now, what's it look like to live the dream, right? Let's take a look. First of all, we have in Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 17, God, or not God, rather, Jacob sends his youngest son on an errand. Verse 12, his brothers were sent to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So Joseph says, here I am. Where do you want me to go? So he takes out on this journey. Now, now remember at the, the first four verses, what had Joseph done? What report had he brought to his, his father? A bad report. So he was shepherding with his brothers. He brings a bad report, and his brothers hated him for it. Now, the other ten, they're out pasturing. They're out there with the flock, and his, his dad says, go check up on them. So Joseph says, here I am. Where do I go? And he sends them. Now, he goes to the place where they're supposed to be, but they're not there. They're not there. And it says that he met a man, and he says, have you seen the sons of Jacob? He says, yeah, I saw them, but they're not here anymore. They went to Dothan. They went that away. So Joseph sets out on this errand to find his brothers. So that gives us the context. That gives us the context. And then the brothers' deeds. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 18. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let's 
kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, Reuben is the, uh, heard it, he says, he, res- he rescued him out of their hands saying, let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gom, balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand uh, be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So here's what we have. We have a dreamer, and he's sent on an errand. And the first opportunity that the brothers have, they want to crush his dreams. They want to crush his dreams and they want to take his life. Now he has two brothers, Reuben and Judah, who they don't like him either. They hate him just as much as the others. But they see the, they see the, 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 the sinister nature about what they're, what they're about to do. They're not willing to go so far as to kill him. But they do hate him. And they do want him gone. And they do want these dreams to be absolutely silenced. And, and so that's the context. And so what do they do? They plot, they conspire, and they, they sell their brother into slavery. They sell their blood brother into slavery. That's the deeds. That's the deeds. Then you have the cover-up. So any deed done... Now, the, the tr- what's the truth? The truth is they've sold their brother into slavery, but they have to suppress the truth because they have a family. They have wives. They have children of their own. They have a father. They have a mother. They have to go home and explain, where's Joseph? Where's Joseph? So now we see the cover-up. Verse 29. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. And I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood. They sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Joseph tore his garments, put on sackcloth, on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So here's what we got. We have the errand, we have the deed, we have the cover up, and then we have inconsolable grief. Jacob has told his sons, his daughters, his grandchildren, anyone who listens, no, I will not be comforted. I am going to mourn until the day I die. Until the day I die. So much for the dream. 
my generation, your generation, grew up watching television. And on television, mostly they are sitcoms until the, the series, until the season one where there's 12 episodes and so forth. But back in the day in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s, everything played out in, in, the, in the course of 30 minutes to an hour. Okay, so every plot, every story, there was, there was a, a protagonist, there was an antagonist, there was a problem, there was conflict, and then there was pain and there was suffering, and then there's resolution and a lesson that everybody learns in 60 minutes or 30 minutes depending on the show, right? And if it's a situational comedy, then everybody laughs and there's a laugh track all the way through the whole thing. So we, we get this idea that here's what life is. Life is a battle, but it only lasts about 60 minutes. So if you get this dream in the first five minutes, and then you have this conflict in the next 10 to 20 minutes, by minute 45, a solution presents itself, a lesson is learned, and everyone's <laughs> drinking coffee and slapping each other on the back and hugging and saying, I just learned this wonderful lesson. That works in whose life? No one's. Joseph receives a dream from God. And as soon as he thinks he's going to live out this dream, he is punched in the mouth. He's punched in the mouth. And where's Joseph at this moment? At, at the end of this chapter, he is in bondage on his way to Egypt. Living the dream. Some of you became Christians many, 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 many years ago when you were children. And you, you got this impression that by following Jesus, if you were obedient, that somehow you would be spared pain and suffering. And then your dysfunctional family turned on you. Or then you got sick. Or then you lost someone you loved. Or then people said horrible things about you and you were the, the victim of injustice. Or then a whole bunch of things. Too numerous to count. The bottom line is everyone suffers and we are troubled by, we're troubled by where is this God who gave me this dream? Where is this God who made this promise? And in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, you don't see God appear to Joseph the way he does to Abraham or even Jacob. There's not a point in, in, the next, in the next 12 to 15 chapters where God pulls Joseph out of prison and says, look up into the stars. Remember that in Genesis chapter 15? Where, where, where Abraham is wondering and he's doubting. And so the solution is God points to the stars and says, look, as many stars as there are, you're going, your descendants are going to be more numerous to that. What, what is Joseph here? I'm not imitating Caitlin Clark right now. What, what, is, what is he here? Absolutely nothing. He doesn't hear anything. So was the dream a figment of his imagination? Or maybe it wasn't a figment of his imagination. Maybe this God is vindictive and cruel and doesn't really care. See, we've entered the place in the, in the story where this is not a sitcom. It doesn't end in an hour. It doesn't even end in a week. It doesn't even end in a decade. 
for the next 20 years, this 17-year-old kid won't have any idea how this is going to end. And he's left with a big fat question. Where is God and does he even care? And that's the reality. You see, suffering causes everyone to question if the dream is just wishful thinking. Many of you have been following Jesus for a long, long time. Some of you have just begun and some of you haven't started. But here's the universal commonality between every person here. You're going to suffer. And some of you have suffered deeply. Some of your suffering is at the hands of an abuser. At the hands of someone who should be a caregiver and they've taken from you. Some of you have suffered at the hands of someone you don't really know that well, but you're a victim nonetheless. Some of you, your suffering is not due to a dysfunctional family or a dysfunctional upbringing or the sin of someone else. Some of you are suffering because you're chronically ill or someone you love is chronically ill. And it's, it's no one's fault in particular. It just, it just is. And some of you are suffering because you've lost people that you love dearly. And the way that life has worked out for you isn't the dream. Or at least it's not the dream that you had. And you're left wondering. You're left wondering. Was the dream just my imagination? And if it wasn't, where's the giver of the dream? Does he care? Is he there? That's what we're going to see unfold in the next three to four weeks as we finish out the life of Joseph. He does not have an answer right now. All we see is what's unfolding, and that's just pain. At the hands of, of, of wickedness. This is evil. And the decision is, well, what do we make of these dreams? We have in verse 28, Then the Midianite traders passed, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And then you skip to the end of the chapter. It says, meanwhile, this is... Joseph is, or rather Jacob is grieving, refused to be consoled. And it says, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Okay, now let's take a look at the dream here and let's zoom the camera back and take a look at the bigger picture. What we have at the beginning of 30, chapter 37 is a 17-year-old kid with a couple dreams in a dysfunctional family. There's no mention of God in this chapter. But let's go back and let's remember, let's remember what we have learned so far in this Living Stone series, that God called a man by the name of Abram from Mesopotamia and his wife Sarai. He says, go to the land that I will show you. And they followed, they obeyed. He says, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the sands and, the, and, I, will, the, and I will bless every nation through your offspring. Small problem, they're old and can't have kids. So the dream requires a child. 
but they can't have children. 25 years go by before a child is born. Isaac. And then Isaac, he, for, for, for this dream, this, this vision for humanity, it requires that, that he have an offspring, but his wife can't get pregnant either. She eventually has a child too. And, and, and the dream rides on the youngest, but the father loves the oldest. So the dream is a peril. And then all of a sudden, we, we know the story. Jacob steals the blessing, and now, and now he's, the, he's the patriarch of the family. And, and the dream, the vision for humanity, humanity's salvation comes through Jacob's offspring. But here's what we're not told yet. The information that we've not been given yet is that a famine is coming in the region and it threatens the life of every single inhabitant in the Middle East, including Egypt. And if God does not intervene to do something Jacob and his sons and his grandchildren will all die of starvation. We have not been given that information. The dream of humanity is in peril at this very moment, and no one but God knows. From Jacob's perspective, all he knows is, and believes is that his beloved son has been torn to pieces by an animal. From his brother's perspective, all they know is the dreamer is out of their lives, but now they carry the shame and the guilt of all that they have done and they know is wrong. And from Joseph, the dreamer's perspective, the whole world is against him, everyone hates him, and the people that he loves the most have abandoned him. And he is literally a slave. And no one knows, except the giver of dreams, where all of this is going. Your pain is different than Joseph's, but it's not. Your pain is different than Jacob, but it's not. Your pain is different than the brothers, but it's not. You see, when you read through this story and you look at this story, some of you do relate to Joseph. You are a victim of injustice. Some of you relate to Jacob. You're grieving the loss of someone you love. But let's be honest. Many of you relate to the brothers. You relate to the brothers in the sense that you yourselves have done and said things that have caused pain in other people's lives. And you try to justify it by pointing out how awful they are and how terrible they are. But nonetheless, your actions, your attitudes, the things you did do, the things you did not do, have caused other people harm. Here's the thing. At any given moment, all of us relate to everyone in this whole story. Joseph isn't the hero. Jacob's not the hero. The brothers certainly aren't the hero. And I'm not the hero of my story, and neither are you. We're just people playing out a part in God's dream and vision for humanity. Now the question, the question is, 
Am I going to trust the giver of the dream? Am I going to trust? Can God be trusted? Is God even involved? See, here's what a secular person would do. They'd look at this situation. They'd look When they're in Jacob's shoes, Joseph's shoes, Judah's shoes, when they're living life, when they're living the dream, here's what they say. The dream as it is, as, as you've received it, is an evolutionary trick. You, you have to believe that there is a God and there's hope, and that's what gives you the strength to keep fighting. And that's what propagates the species. But there's no meaning. There's no life at the, at the end. It's just all death. And, and there is no meaning. And so what we're doing here is we're just tricking ourselves that there is a dream so we can just push through the pain. And so what's the answer for the secularist? The secularist says, well, you've got to define your own meaning in life. You've got to make your own dreams. And, and if you call them on it, it said, yeah, but isn't it meaningless? Well, yes, but... You got to live, right? Then the traditional religion, religionists, their solution is, is that God's given us a dream and if we are good and if we obey, then everything will be okay. But it's not okay. And so you're left wondering, one of two things, maybe I'm not good. Maybe, maybe God is punishing me. Maybe I'm being carried off to the, the Midianites, to, to Potiphar, because God is against me. Or you look at it and you think, I've prayed, I've gone to church, I tithe, I even serve in the nursery, which I don't do. Right? I do all those things. I, I don't do this, I do this, I do all the things that God wants me to, and I'm still suffering, and I'm still in pain. So you conclude that, Maybe God's not just. How many of you have ever asked that question? God, I do this, this, and this, and this, and then you do this. I've caught myself doing that before. So you have the secular view of suffering, you have the traditional religious view of suffering, and then you have the gospel. Then you have Jesus. On Palm Sunday, this day, we have in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. They brought the donkey and the colt and they put them on their cloaks and he sat on them and most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road and the crowd went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he'd entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said that this is the prophet of Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And the disciples are watching this whole thing unfold. And if you would have come up to me, he says, Peter, how you doing? He said, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. My king, my savior, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. And the whole crowd is saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they think that's what the dream is. But they don't know that Jesus' Father has sent him on an errand. And they don't understand what Jesus understands and what Joseph didn't understand is his brothers, his own, would not receive him, but would reject him utterly. 
and that he literally would be cast into a pit as he waited his own crucifixion. He was not sold to Potiphar. He was sold for 30 shekels to receive your sin and to receive mine and to be completely abandoned by his father on the cross. And he was living the dream. So that your dream could be fulfilled in him. So that he could take all of the pain that you've received in this life upon his own shoulders. So that he could redeem all the dysfunction that you grew up with. So he could redeem all of the sinful acts and the the injustice that you and I have perpetrated against those that we say that we love. And so that he could redeem all things for our good and his glory so that you and I could live the dream. For us to live the dream, Christ had to embrace a nightmare. And that nightmare is the separation from his father. Because of Jacob's sin, because of Judah and Simeon, Reuben, Issachar, and Adam's and Eve's and yours and mine. The difference between Jesus and Joseph is that Jesus went into it with his eyes wide open. And knowing that through his suffering, someday all the sheaves would be down, bow down to him in worship, in praise, in adoration. This isn't a sitcom. It's not going to end in a week. It's not going to end in a month. But Christ is coming back. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. And as we live the dream today, we will suffer. And tomorrow we will see everything made new. Some of you are in pain right now. I got an email this morning asking me to pray for someone who is in deep pain. I said, I don't like to come forward. I'm shy. I want you to know that we want to walk through this life with you to come alongside you, to pray with, to pray for you. So at the end of each service, we invite you to come forward and pray. But if, oops, what happened? I need that slide. There we go. Um, If that's not something you're comfortable with, you can go to the uh, QR code there. You can tell us what your prayer request is. If not, there are, you see, I don't, I don't want to get caught up in the, the technology buzz. I'm, I'm not a cell phone guy. I'm not a smartphone guy or gal. That's okay. We have the old-fashioned paper versions. They're in the back. You can fill those out and drop those into the, in the offering or the, the, the comment box. Uh, or you just want to learn more about grace. Or you want to start this dream. You want to start this life with Christ. You want to know, how do I serve? How do I share? How do I get in community? How do I follow Jesus? Please let us know. We would love to walk with you, to pray for you. So please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for giving us your son. Thank you, Lord, that he, like Joseph, was betrayed, sold, and endured. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you did not abandon your son to Sheol.
that you did not abandon him to decay, but Lord, that you rose him from the grave. Thank you, Lord, that you have taken our sins. Would you give us hope? I pray for each person here, Lord. First of all, that they would receive you as Savior. Secondly, that they would endure and they would trust in the midst of the trials that they're going through. Each person here is suffering in a different way. I pray, Lord, that you would meet them where they are at. Some of them feel like Jacob. They're mourning. Some of them feel like the brothers. They carry the shame of their own guilt. Some of them are like Joseph. They're on the receiving end of injustice, Lord, but everyone's suffering somehow or in some way or will. Lord, I pray that you would be our comforter. Father, would you show us that Christ is the sin bearer and the hope giver and that regardless of what we're going through right now, that we would hold on to that hope of the future resurrection of the saints and the return of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go in grace and love to have you come up and pray if you'd like to be prayed for.